0: You know, what I want to know is is how, how does one get involved in doing rock work as a woman? Do you really, really want to know? Or do you just want the rehearsed response that I always give? What would happen? if we chose to really tell the truth about ourselves. Like if we really, really just told the real truth of our lives. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm saying that it's my truth. You're listening to him. The week between Christmas and New Year's was just a a very glorious time. I don't know any other way to put it. Me and the guys had decided to be off the week after Christmas. Actually, we took two weeks because our client wasn't going to return until I think the 17th of January, and that was the grouchy lady. So we kind of just waited and decided, let's just take this time and and go live and enjoy, because we'd really been busting it. We'd really been working solid and putting in the time and, you know, doing the projects. And, and also, I think when you're working that close with people physically and you eat together, I mean, you're just together the whole time. There's not much break from one another. And uh, I felt like those boys needed a break from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I kind of needed a break from them too. I really love them, but it's it takes a lot of energy uh, <clears throat> for me to continue teaching and talking and teaching and talking and all that. So and I think they understand that. Um, the more that I was with them, the more I started seeing how tapped in that they truly are as as men. They do have some feminine energy that they are tapped into. And I so appreciate that, that they're not just pure testosterone walking around with a shovel. You know, they, they have some depth and some kindness and stuff. And so it's, it does make it a lot easier to have that kind of energy in the mix. Um, But during that time, I was hanging out with my artist friends and we had gotten into a little habit of me going to pick them up in the green, army green tundra. I started calling it the school bus and uh, I'd pick them up and we'd go have brunch or lunch and have these marathon, you know, conversations. And it was just so... um, It made me so happy to be with these two women, and they're both um, just very thoughtful and good listeners, and I just love them. And so we would go out and do our thing and go in antique shops and be looking for stuff, just kind of milling around, but mostly just having some really uh, in-tune conversations and that's really what I am attracted to at this point in my life. You know, I don't have to be entertained. And I think, you know, in our culture a lot of times people have to always be on the run and be shopping or, you know, they always doing something and and sometimes I just really appreciate just sitting and talking and hear, you know, hear someone else's story. And um you know, so having this whole world happening with Helen of Greece, um, and after she had gotten to Greece, you know, her birthday was actually, uh, December 12th. Her birth dates, 12, 12, 72. Um, so she had turned 50. We're both Sagittarius and I had never, um, been with a Sagittarius in a relationship. And she hadn't either. So this was going to be an interesting thing because I think that was one of our commonalities was, you know, Sagittarians are pretty independent and just some of the characteristics. But New Year's Day, um, <clears throat> I woke up with a Happy New Year, baby girl. And I'm like, baby girl? Nobody's ever called me baby girl in my life. And it made me laugh. Uh, but we talked on the phone and... Uh, she said she was really busy with the family and you know meals and celebrations and I think you know celebrating in Greece is a lot different than here I think it's a big family thing and it goes on for like a month or so but she said that she was trying to adjust and acclimate her body to the time difference and um that that had really been hard, you know, seven hour difference. And and she didn't want to get, she said she didn't want to get too back to normal because when she came back here, it would be hard to readjust again. But, you know, it was really fun because those two weeks that I was off, I was really participating in her, uh, in her celebrations in Greece because she was including me you know, and phone calls and texts and pictures. And, and really, I felt like we had started getting even closer. And, uh, it was just amazing. And I asked her, you know, uh, what her family, she said, they call her Larissa instead of Helen. I was like, oh really? She said, um, you know, they were cooking in the kitchen. Her mom said something, Larissa hand me that or something. But, um, She said she was a really good cook, and I told her that I I actually was a pretty good cook, too, and she laughed her head off and said, you know, oh, sure, you know, I want to try your cooking, and she says, I hope to give you a pass, and she laughed, and I was like, give me a pass, but um, I told her I'd surprise her, and then out of the blue, she asked me, she says, you know, do you enjoy spoiling your lady? And I told her that she was already spoiled. And then we laughed. And um, then I said, you'd be begging me before long. And then we really laughed at that. And she's like, oh, begging you? Hmm, that sounds like fun. And, and it was just really fun. Every It just seemed like the conversations were were um, were getting more... It was just like I knew her so well, you know? And, and I felt like she knew me so well. And... Uh, one night she asked me, she said, you know, what are you really drawn to about me, Jill? And, you know, she said, I'm, I'm curious if things kick in, and I love that kick in, if things kick in between us, do you see yourself with one woman for a long time? Do you consider yourself a one woman woman? Uh, I know we have talked about this before, but I feel like that we should revisit this And, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. And I just told her, I said, Helen, um, you know, I really, uh, one of the things I really appreciated was her taking notice of things in me and my life. You know, I'd never been with anybody in a relationship that, that really um, valued me like this. It was, it was so interesting just, just to have a person that I mean, I never even had a parent that took notice of the things in my life. You know, I played sports, I did all these things, and I don't know. I mean, they'd say maybe a good thing here and there, but not a whole lot. And I mean, you know, I'm like 60 years old. Like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm not, like, worried about, like, getting praise, but... It does make you feel good, you know. It makes you feel good if you're just speaking about something in general, and someone mentions it to you later, and it it means that they paid attention, you know. And uh, I told her that I valued her spirituality, and that I really valued, you know, I think her her languaging and her speaking with purpose you know, she spoke with purpose and not impulse. And, you know, speaking with purpose um, can bring healing and meaning to to our relationships and our communities and our world. I think so many times, you know, we do our best to speak meaningful to others, but I think sometimes we fail to show that kind of kindness to ourselves. And I'm really learning And especially during this time, I was really learning to um, sort of change the way that I talked about myself uh, in my head and outwardly. You know, it really matters. Um, And so many people, you know, speak without purpose because I think as a culture, we're taught to like speak up and loudly and especially Americans, you know, uh, to seek out, like, more and more and more, you know, it's never enough. We live in this, like, fucking oversized uh, culture. And, uh, and, you know, we use our opinions like some sort of weapon. And, of course, social media is all about instant gratification and speed and competition. You know, it's like I just want to scream, give it a rest, Unconsciousness is like a tarp that covers so many of the reasons that we speak without purpose. Um, But, you know, learning how to listen and really hear and take in what someone has to say can be so challenging, especially if we were raised in a family of over talkers, or, you know, conscious listening can be a struggle. And if we've been raised or taught to remain silent, we might struggle with making our purpose known. But, you know, really, uh, I really wanted her to know that that was super impressive and important to me. And her speaking with intention and purpose was just, I was really drawn to that. And of course, I told her that I was physically drawn to her beauty, and, uh, but there was something way deeper than that. She had sent some pictures of herself and her horse, a couple of horse pictures, and, uh, her horse's name was Troy. She had one named Troy and one named Penelope, but she sent this one picture, and she was side by side with the horse's face from the shoulders up, kind of, and, uh, she really kind of looked like Grace Kelly to me. She was very, very beautiful in this picture. And she was real classy. She's very classy. She had this, her hair was really long. She had it pulled back. And she wore these these really beautiful diamond earrings. But her, her look was very classic. She didn't wear a lot of makeup. She was just strikingly beautiful. and uh, And so you know, but, but I did, I did tell her that, you know, I was physically drawn, but this is so deeper than that. You know, I just told her, I said, you know, Helen, I think you, you really guard your heart, you know, with good reason, but I think you're ready to be a little more vulnerable and, and to open yourself to possibility. And I told her that she was a very gentle person, you know, with a serious drive for excellence and, I told her she had a mission and that I said, you know, you usually get what you want. And I felt like I was almost doing some sort of psychic reading because this was just coming out of me, but it was really the vibration of what I had gotten from her and what I felt from her. And I told her that I thought that she had worked very hard for her independence and that she valued her time and that she was in her power. And, uh, you know, her response to me was one of the most heartfelt observations I had ever been told about myself. And she said, you know, getting to know you, Jill, has been amazing. Your communication skill, you're a deep thinker, you're passionate about life and nature and your work, your empathy and your curiosity and smartness, all of this attracted me to you. You are very hardworking and neat and clean with a good sense of humor. And that kind of cracked me up with the neat and clean because, yeah, I've had a little OCD with that over, the, over my life. But um, she said, you know, I consider you a total package, but I'm not looking for perfection. I want you to be a human that understands that imperfection can be beautiful, too, because it's what makes us human. And it was just... The kind of conversations like this, you know, that just really it was just adding so much interest into my life. And, you know, she did reiterate again with the, oh yeah, it's very important that I get spoiled by my woman. That's one of the essence of being in love and also being in a relationship. And I liked the openness that she talked with. Um, I really like this, and I told her that I'd been waiting a very long time to meet someone, you know, that could challenge me and really meet me where I'm at, and I meet them where they're at. Uh, I said, you know, there's a huge difference in needing someone and wanting someone or being needed or being wanted, and it's funny how life teaches us how to sort through these things and sort through what we want and what we don't want. But by being conscious and aware, you know, that really helps. And um, and then out of the blue, she said, uh, so what's your view on exploring different cultures? And... I I sat, and I said, well, give me a minute on that one, you know, but I told her, I said, I haven't traveled that much, um, but I am totally intrigued with, you know, Egypt, Japan, Mexico, which I've been to Mexico, um, there's so many places, Peru, there's so many cultures that I want to visit, there's so many places I want to go, and, uh, And I told her, you know, that I had had a little experience at Brevard College was an opening for me. And I was so lucky to go to a kind of a little private school that had foreign exchange students because I got to meet a lot of people those first couple of years out of high school uh, that were from other countries, and, uh, and they taught me some stuff. I had a couple of girls on my volleyball team at Brevard College that were from Japan, and their parents would send them, like, trunks of, like, sake and beer, which is kind of hilarious. I mean, that's something that I probably didn't need to be partaking in, but that's okay. I learned a lot about it. Um, but we had students from Iran and uh, a couple of Portuguese. I mean, it was interesting, and so that, you know, I was just always intrigued with other cultures. I am not a typical, you know, American. I just I have such a problem with it. And who knows, somebody might burn this when they hear that, but I it just feels so plastic to me sometimes, the way, the American way, you know, all this like consumerism and all this you know, just development and tearing down nature. It's just it's just absurd. And um, talked about that a little bit. And then she told me, you know, that she had always been the rebellious and the independent one in her family. And uh, she says, you know, my father would say that my spirit animal is the cat because I have a mind and ideas of my own. And then I just asked her, I said, you know, how'd your family, and as I've been wanting to ask this, I said, how'd your family deal with the gay thing? Or or should I say you liking women, you know, not trying to label you as gay? Uh, and she said, you know, I, I came out when I was 21 to my whole family, but I told my sister when I was 19. And uh, I said, well, how'd they handle that, you know? And she says, well, at first my father blew up and wouldn't talk to me for about a month. But my mom wasn't so hard on me. Uh, and in the end, we all sat and talked about it. And I was surprised at how understanding my father became about the situation. And he said, Larissa, whatever makes makes you happy will make me happy. And, uh, and so then I shared some of my gay story. I just didn't want to get into the whole rejection thing, you know. And, uh, but I did tell her how fortunate she was that she got that done early in life and that, you know, they were able to move on. I just I felt like that was important. And uh, she didn't have to spend, you know, all of her 20s and 30s trying to prove or trying to hide it, you know. And then just out of the blue, she Text while we were talking on the phone, she texts this most beautiful picture, and it reminded me kind of Princess Diana. It was her, and she was wearing this like cream-colored dress, uh, sitting with a group of these like uh, Ethiopian children. And I said, "Where is that?" And she said, "Ethiopia," and I, I knew it. I just knew it when I looked at it. And she said that it had been a very beautiful experience for her. And, um, you know, she said, I love to travel, Jill, and explore and do some humanitarian work. And someday I hope that we can do this together, Jill. And I told her, I said, Helena Greece, I'd follow you to the ends of the earth. And she started laughing. And, you know, it sort of just opened this, like, door to... I don't even I don't want to call it daydreaming but sometimes I would find myself daydreaming and we talked about houses and we talked about you know decor and the things we like and and it was so interesting because never I've never been to the country you know but she started sending me all these pictures of the the land and the uh the vineyards and it was just blowing my mind, and uh, she said that her house, her father had built the house that they were in. It was a family house for generations to come. And she says it's just much too big. She said, you know, I'm pretty much a minimalist, and I I really love that. And she says, you know, for me, Jill, it's mostly being outside in nature. And, uh, you know, but I love a good, a good house and a good fire and, you know, but all the things that she talked about, uh, that we both talked about with houses were just, uh, it was just so fulfilling. And I think that's when, you know, I truly had started to get that this journey and the joy in this journey was through this, uh, imaginative place of seeing when she would tell me these stories and I could visualize and just see her out there, you know, and one picture she sent me was her on one of her horses. And, you know, she was like a badass. She had on these like leather gloves and in one hand holding the reins, she'd taken one glove off, but um, you know, she had on like a baseball cap and her hair pulled back and just really striking to me. It was like, I just couldn't get enough of these pictures. And I was like, send me more, send me more, you know, cause I really felt like I was there with her. And I felt like I was living vicariously through Helen of Greece. And then, you know, it was really strange because we started sort of like getting in sync with each other. And I don't know how that happens. That's only happened to me maybe once, maybe twice in my lifetime. And I started having a lot of dreams about her. And uh, and one dream that I had about her was I dreamed that there was this beautiful kind of gray stone floor. And it was kind of like dusk. It was not really night, but not really afternoon. It was sort of that in-between place. And there was a freestanding, uh, big bathtub with a claw feet in the middle of this floor of the stone floor. And then there was kind of stone walls, kind of ancient looking around her, but sort of dark, but she was in this tub and she had her hair up, you know, sort of all tied up behind her. And, she was in this bathtub kind of laying back and I had been outside and I'd been pruning and I came walking through and she was in this tub, you know, full of water and bubbles and all that and I walked past and I laid a peony flower right on her chest and just kept walking and then I woke up. And I told her this dream, and she was like, that is beautiful, you know, that is a beautiful dream, and, and we talked about it, and and so then it kind of led to this uh, sort of designing this house, you know, we, we started kind of talking about different things and houses that we both loved, and, you know, I spoke about my love of French doors, and lots of French doors, and open, you know, a lot of windows, and and like a balcony. And we just described things. And it was so cool to be able to talk to someone that had uh, had vision and had a sense of style that was very uh, European, uh, literally, and not the uh, homes, what is it, rooms to go. It was so refreshing to me. And she told me how much that She knew I would love Europe. And she said, I want to take you to Prague, Jill. You know, there's just so many places. And she talked a lot about Turkey and how that country was so versatile and that she really wanted to take me there. And I was just elated with a sense of uh, excitement and like I'd spoken about before this, like eager anticipation. And so... I would go out with my friends, and I would just be on cloud nine, really and truly. I felt so happy to have this other world that was going on that it didn't matter that I was living here, you know, by myself, me and Minnie, and just kind of having our little ritual of sort of insignificance, it felt like sometimes and hitting rocks didn't seem so hard, you know. It just kind of made things easier. It made my day more inviting, and anytime, you know, and I had that phone in my back pocket, and time that little ding would go off, I would just, my heart would jump, and I knew it would be her. Most of the time, it was her, and, uh, and we were kind of getting in a little routine, because I would say, you know, I'd go, is it too late? And and I had a little, I finally put a thing on my phone where I could check, you know, Patrice grease time so that I wouldn't uh, interrupt her or call or wake her up or something. And, uh, but, you know, we were kind of like in sync with one another. And she started sharing some of the dreams that she was having. And, and then, you know, sometimes just in the middle of the night, she would, check in with me and and it would be morning to her and I told her I said it is fine you know because I wake up I wake up usually about 3:30 in the morning anyway um but this routine had started and it was just a very um education it was an education for me because I have, uh, you, you can read a lot, you know, you can read a lot about places, but to to hear coming straight from the horse's mouth, no pun intended, but um, but getting the inside scoop on a daily life in Greece was just really fun. And I'm like, do you have olive trees? I mean, I know she would just crack up at some of the like ridiculous questions I would ask her, but that's the thing about Helen Agree. She didn't give a shit the questions I asked. She wanted me to ask her questions because you know what? She would ask me questions and I and I would kind of I would have to uh sometimes preface things with do you understand this? Like I remember one time I told her that I might have something up my sleeve and I wasn't sure that she understood that phrase. Um, but she did. But there were certain phrases that uh, that I would say or ask, and sometimes she wouldn't really understand, and we I I would explain it, and then vice versa, she would explain that to me. And uh, and then she told me, you know, a little bit about Greek uh, stereotypes, and I I didn't really know that much about Greek people being or being stereotyped as being mad or loud or angry. And she said that, you know, that Greek people kind of get a bad rap because it's like, you know, people think they're angry, but they're just talking. (laughs) So it was kind of funny. And she says, you know, I will yell at you if I love you. And I said, oh, well, you're going to be yelling a lot at me. So anyway, this was kind of like going on. And then, you know, of course, me and the guys, we have to go back to work. And, uh, and we go back to the job of the grouchy lady, and we're getting it together, and we're about to finish, you know. We're getting really close to finishing, and I had to add some steps onto this patio, and so I asked the boys to come over. There was this one big slab of rock, this midnight blue stone out of uh, up near Linville Gorge. It's gorgeous, beautiful rock, and anyway, it was about you know, six, seven inches thick and uh, maybe like a three by three piece, but it was, I was making steps. And so I said, Hey y'all, can y'all help me kind of shimmy this thing? Cause it was so heavy and we, sh- we sh- kind of uh, sh- turned it. I don't know how to put it into words, but we turned it real quick. And my finger got, sh- got hung between that slab and the slab under it and and that slab just crushed my finger. And I pulled my out I pulled my hand out really fast and I just stood there and they both were like are you okay? Are you okay? And I didn't even I didn't even say anything, but it was like I was just screaming inside of myself. I was just dying inside of myself and I said and I looked at them and I go ah, I don't even want to look at it. And they were like take your glove off and I go I'm afraid to Take your glove off, and so I took my glove off, and there was no blood. And usually, if you if you you know catch a finger like that, it usually pops it like a grape, you know, no pun intended, with all the grape and vineyard talk. But anyway, uh, and it didn't bleed, and so I was like, okay, let me put my glove back on. And I took a few deep breaths, and I quoted Lisa Labalita: "No time for injury." because one time she stuck her hand in a, uh, a shrub when pruning it and got, got hit by a saddleback bug and just killed her. It was just horrible. And we were, she was crying. It was just a horrible thing that happened. But I remember sort of like, she was joking around, dried up, no time for injury. And that sort of always stuck in my head. But anyway, I, uh, we continued working. And uh, when I got home that night, I put some ice and I told Helen, I said, it really hurt my finger. You know, I, I might've broken it, you know, and, and she was real concerned. And she was like, well, babe, you know, can you go to the hospital or go to get an x-ray or something? And I said, no, you know, I think I thought it was okay. And uh, I was just kind to kind of you know, keep an eye on it and everything, but, um, but it was not good. And I really pushed through to and finished. We finished up that job and everything. And so, um, or we were getting really close to finishing. And, um, and so then I didn't hear from her like that night, the next night, and I didn't hear from her at all. And I was really, really worried you know because I'd been hearing from her like about every two hours and it was just this long stretch and so I text and I think I sent her a song that morning and emailed it because I would always email the songs and um I remember I emailed uh these eyes that old song by the guess who and I, I emailed that version and I emailed uh, Angie Stone uh, her version of these eyes, and, uh, but anyway, I, I hadn't heard from her, and she would usually comment or something, and I just, you know, I texted her, you okay, and I still didn't hear anything, and so I I was very concerned, and so the next day at work, I didn't hear anything, and I was just getting really kind of nervous, and, and then uh, finally, that night, she sent uh, a small text. It says, I'm very, very tired. And she sent like these kind of emojis, like kind of the angry face with the sweat bead. And I was like, Oh, and she says, it's very, very hard. It's very, very hard right now. And finally I was like, okay, do you want to share about it? And then the next morning she called and she said, babe, I had an accident. And I said, what? And she says, I was driving home from work. And when she refers to work, that's being out at the farm, uh, you know, where they have some of the production places and stuff. And she said that um, on her way home, there was a man on a bicycle riding on the side of the road. And she said, and she wasn't going real fast, but she said he, right when she got up to him, he fell over, like just fell over. And right under her car. And she ran over him. And she jumped out. And he was under her vehicle. And all these cars stopped. And they were helping her try to get him out. And she said the blood was everywhere. And that she was going. She felt like she had gone into shock. And she said fortunately there was a woman there. Who was like an angel. Who had come and and was sort of helping her to... uh, you know, gather her thoughts and everything, and it, she said it was just chaotic, and that uh, the people all helped get him out, and he was coherent, but she said that it was not good, and she ended up taking him to the hospital. She just, they just put him in her vehicle, and, and she just took him, and she said he was in ICU. And that she was devastated and scared to death. She says, babe, if I, if I kill someone, I don't know if I'll be able to live with myself. And, uh, and so I, I sat there and, you know, I just listened. I just really listened. And, and then I, I said, you know, just, just breathe. And um, I didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you say? to, to something like that. I've never run over anybody. I mean, I've, I've hit an animal before, which is devastating, you know, and, uh, and I just told her, I said, just, you know, let's just send good energy to him and his family. And and hopefully she just kept saying, you know, I just don't understand. I don't understand why. I want to know why he fell. Like what did he did he lose his balance? Was he sick? Did he you know what happened? She couldn't understand why it happened. And I said, Well, you can't go back. I mean, it's just it happened. And so, uh, That was a very, very strange encounter. And I was just kind of shaken the rest of the day with that. I felt like I was, I felt like I was with her with it, you know, through it. And, uh, and I was very appreciative that she had shared with me because then I told her how worried I was about her. And, you know, and and without being like needy codependent girl like oh you got to call me every minute and, and and I think she got that. She knows I'm not like that. But it was I had gotten so used to hearing from her for so often that with with this it kind of threw me. And so, you know, this story was just starting to uh really take a different turn. And I was worried about her because I, I know how much that she had invested in, in this work. And I just, I was hoping that, you know, nothing bad was going to come out of this. And I was just really hoping and praying that this man would survive. And so, um, that was one of the biggest things right there was his survival and, And Helen was, she was very um, thoughtful, and she said that, you know, she was going to send the family, you know, some money and make sure everybody was taken care of, because he wouldn't be able to work and things like that, but that night I went to bed, and I just really tried to visualize this man in Greece healing, you know, because, I just felt so deeply for her, and I just didn't want something to mess up her plan. And I know that things happen to us in this life that we can't control. And, you know, if we do create our own reality, I wasn't sure what kind of creation this was. But with all that being said, I I felt like I was in Greece with Helen 100%. And I was 100% supportive of her and her life and what was happening to her. And I told her, I said, you know, look, I've got your back. I don't know what I can do from over here, but if I need to come there, I'll be glad to cancel my work and plans and take a jet and fly over there. Whatever needs to happen, you just tell me and I'll be there. And... She began to cry, and she said, I appreciate that so much. You just have no idea how important that, that is to me. And she says, we've got it. We're fine. I've got my family. We're all good. She says, but just knowing that I have you, babe, is just it just makes my heart so full, and it just makes me smile. Hammered is recorded and produced in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. It's narrated by Jill Haney, produced by Maggie Briggs and Jill Haney, and with sound design, editing, and music by Alexander Rodriguez. Our beautiful artwork was created by Lauren Caddick, and we'd like to send a special thanks out there to Minnie and Robin. You can check out our website, podcasthammered.com, and follow us on social media for updates.